Shawju and Claire Emnesit Shachle. The Banijou as Falcheru, Tamaenum Fiona McCardle. I'm Fiona McCardle and I'd like to welcome you to this programme which is called Shachle. In this edition of Shachle, on Shachle and Keith Shaw, she blamed Vigiton Molina, 2020's a leap year, and there's a piece of history associated with that extra day, the 29th of February. A strand of Lion Gears on an Erden. And next Wednesday sees the opening of the Manx Amateur Drama Federation's Festival of One Act Plays. We'll have an overview of the festival and look at what's on offer that first night. On Shachle and Keats Jerry, the Marilyn Lee Jailshan Getlach Trudge Spores Tre, Mar Honickshan and Nacht van Grunje Glacier Megirten Grien. Tan Grien Heen Glacier Truden Spore. Hauds tan korolegas ein chende. Mar Hilschen, Tashen Seren, Goil Yindes, de Valle Jichen duen, de Velna korolegasen Glacier Weinen Gelia, Ian Spunish nevad Roy. Vad Jurgo, Mertetachet on Shows a Grunje ein, Lugen hid Vleist vor, de Berg had Golna Smelje, Roschme Berg fastach Gold Hojach, ad a harna rash kujach rish. Ach to be, Berlian jichin the snither dan chrunia ein hin, er an acht ti gol megirten chrien, na jichin a foliachten na feinig moor. Tashen smunichten de kajen, de velen jone shen goil unvlein. Och an elchen sliden kiat. The passage of time in general seems long to have fascinated people. Monuments such as Stonehenge on Salisbury Plain or Newgrange in the Boyne Valley appear to have been aligned with the sun. Stonehenge famously for the midsummer's dawn and Newgrange for the dawn at the winter solstice. There are extensive alignments at Karnak in Brittany, thought to be a form of calendar. Later, the Julian calendar, named after Julius Caesar, was in use, but over many years it could be seen to be out of sync with the sun's movements and that led to the Gregorian calendar, which included a new formula for leap years. The Julian calendar had a leap day every fourth year, but that was a little too much. In the Gregorian calendar, if the century year, the one ending in two zeros, can be divided by 400, it's a leap year. If it can't be, it isn't. That's why 20 years ago, the year 2000 was a leap year, but 120 years ago, 1900 was not. It was on the 29th of February 1760 that three French ships battered in a sea battle off Jerby Head the previous morning were towed into Ramsey Bay. One of them was the Maréchal de Belle-Île, the flagship of Captain François Thurot. Even in the 1890s, when the Gill Brothers and John Clegg were collecting traditional music in the island, there were tunes and songs, in Manx and in English, associated with the name of François Thurot. George Moore of Balladoul in Arbury had a song in Manx, and that was to the tune of Haste to the West or Haste to the Wedding. He also had a song in English to a tune known as Willie Riley. Mrs Lawson of Jerby East had another, though similar tune, and she called it Thuro, whilst Philip Kane, Philly the Desert of Baldwin, had a song in English about Thuro to more or less that same tune. 
William Corlett, who worked as a miner in Laxey, also had a tune which was a version of The Haste to the West, and that was published in Manx National Music as Thuro as Elliot. So a fairly widespread of words and tunes associated with this piece of history from over 230 years earlier, yet still resonating in the songs and music of the Manx people in the 1890s. François Thoreau himself had taken to a naval career and was the protégé of the Maréchal de Belle-Île, who supplied him with a ship. He was known for running contraband luxury goods into Ireland and the British Isles, and very often he claimed he was in those waters if he had been found there, having been blown, he said, off course by bad weather. Some of his voyages had brought him to the Isle of Man, apparently not to bring French luxury goods in, but to buy consignments of rum from George Moore and Thoreau was apparently known and liked in the island. When war broke out between France and Great Britain, he acted as a privateer, before becoming a captain in the Royal, the French Navy. He was assigned a squadron, but the squadron was blockaded in the port of Dunkirk by a British Royal Navy cordon. Thoreau's expertise was in seamanship, and he had the support of the Maréchal de Belle-Île and also of Madame de Pompadour at the French court, the king's mistress, and Thoreau received sealed orders from the king. However, the difficulty was that the marines put on board his squadron of vessels were led by French aristocrats who were incensed to find themselves having to take orders from a mere commoner, and relations were strained even before the squadron sailed. The French squadron started out with five vessels, but one was badly damaged in the storm which had enabled them to slip the British blockade of Dunkirk. They spent time in Sweden, Norway and the Faroes, and the aristocrats remained in almost constant near mutiny against Thuro throughout, but even they had to acknowledge that he had sealed orders from the king. And it turned out their secret mission was to create a diversionary action as a French invasion fleet attacked the British Isles. Well, what they found out some four months later when they came to Vila and took on board badly needed supplies was that very shortly after they'd sailed, the French fleet had been comprehensively beaten at Quiberon Bay, and so the invasion wasn't going to happen. All their travails to set up a diversionary action had been totally unnecessary, and again there was pretty well open mutiny, and another of the squadron abandoned the mission and sneaked away when they were off the north coast of Ireland, so that left three ships under Thuro. The marines under their aristocratic leaders decided to attack Carrick Fergus on Belfast Loch before escaping southward. However, they were so laden down with useless things they'd taken from Carrick Fergus that all their loot blocked access to some of the weapons. The news of Carrick Fergus was sent down through Ireland and came to Commodore John Elliot of the Royal Navy in his ship the Aeolus, which had been forced into Kinsale by bad weather. There were two other Royal Navy vessels in Kinsale, and John Elliot ordered them to come with him to Belfast Loch. By the time they got there, Thuro and his squadron had sailed, but Elliot pursued them and came up with them about six o'clock in the morning on the 28th of February off Jerby Head. Well, the noise of the cannon brought the people out, and amongst those standing witness on Jerby Bruise was the bishop, Mark Hildersley, and his household. The French vessels were in very poor shape anyway, and as I mentioned, their loot was hampering their ability to fight. Whilst Thoreau's own vessel, the Maréchal de Belle-Île, stood and fought, the other two were heading away, but they were drawn back into the battle. But they received a pounding from the British vessels. In the engagement, François Thoreau was killed, although there's a suspicion that he was killed by grape-shot from gunners on board one of the other French vessels. 
His body was in full-dress uniform, it was sewn into a carpet from his cabin and put overboard, and it was later washed up at Monreath in Galloway, where he was buried in the churchyard there, although his grave is unmarked. It was on the 29th of February that the battered French vessels were towed round the Point of Air and into Ramsey Bay. There was celebration in the town with the victorious British vessels in the bay, and Bishop Hildesley had Mount Aeolus built in Bishop's Court Glen to commemorate the event. But there was also a strong undercurrent of sadness for the death of Francois Thoreau, who had been known to the people of the island from years before, and in fact a property in Andrus was subsequently named Thoreau Cottage. One of the stories was that in coming towards the island, Thoreau was intending to rob the house of George Moore, having had dealings with him and knowing he was a rich and successful merchant. That's probably not the case. But the anniversary of those events falls in full, as it were, this weekend, with not only the battle of the 28th of February 1760, but the arrival in Ramsey Bay of the Royal Navy towing the three French vessels and full the prisoners of war on the 29th of February in the year 1760. Here's an outline of some forthcoming events. On Saturday the 29th of February, between 10 o'clock and midday, you can go along to the Ebenezer Hall in Kirkmichael, where a coffee morning's being held to help raise funds for Munja Verga, which runs the Manx language medium, playgroup and school. On Saturday afternoon, between 1 and 4 o'clock, there's a hospice shop recruitment roadshow being held in Castletown Civic Centre. They're encouraging volunteers to find out how to be involved in the hospice shops in Castletown and Port Erin. And on Saturday evening at 7.30pm in Ramsey, there's a concert in St Paul's Church, with Cleveland medal winner Matthew Quinn performing pieces accompanied by Frank Woolley. There will also be young performers taking part, including the Ramsey Harp Group, plus singers and pianists who are pupils at Ramsey Grammar School. It's free admission, and there will be light refreshments and a retiring collection. Moving on to Sunday the 1st of March, there are the last two chances to enjoy Stage Door Entertainment's musical version of M is for Manx Cat, which comes to the end of its island tour. There'll be two performances at 1 o'clock and at 3 o'clock in the Centenary Centre in Peel. And on Monday the 2nd of March, the Man in Quilters exhibition celebrating UNESCO Biosphere Isle of Man goes on display at the Hodgson Loom Gallery in Laxey. For those of you on the north, you've still got tomorrow, Friday the 28th of February, to see that exhibition in the Jerby Health and Community Centre before it sets off for Laxey. Tajanernim rei menik dalyur on the vernain jane akushin smooth scan shawl on spake hulterol in elian, Jen de vel slight goilarn ons emedi rutusen. Tad goil a rain ons corin as pothen an elle, tad jolocha as slay, as mortashen an agon ons shachti and jayanach, tad goil arn ons elenen as curden, tad screw foglen as kyol, as tad goil arn ons clayen. Tacus de fothen and tarecha clayen de kinjach, megirten elian, ons emedi searchen de vuil. Ocean Taiklai Gaiti, Gus Hallachen Berger und Belgian Berger, Red Tad Clay, Rush Altenen of Udia Sockheen. Hauts Genu Kleins, Gruet, Lyorish Slayella, 
tad screw clean an and son hin yes, as tad genuine camera as an reertus akin. The Manx Amateur Drama Federation is an umbrella organisation welcoming all amateur drama, operatic, musical and play groups in the island. It's affiliated to the National Drama Festivals Association and the National Operatic and Drama Association. Groups that do well in its competitive events are eligible to go on and take part in further competitions which involve representatives from groups throughout the British Isles and Ireland. This coming Wednesday, the 4th of March, will be the opening night of the Manx Amateur Drama Federation's Festival of One-Act Plays. Michael Lees, as president of the Manx Amateur Drama Federation, what was the catalyst that brought the federation into being? The catalyst was the old-fashioned tourist board, now named many different things. But in those days, Lenny Bond um, thought it would be a good idea to have something that would attract teams to the Isle of Man. And so the Federation was born um, a few years before the Easter Festival happened, and that's celebrating 70 years this year. But the Federation was actually formed a few years earlier, and the main aim was to attract teams to the Isle of Man, but also, as time went on, it became, I suppose you might say, the trade union for amateur theatre, really. So when an amateur company either had problems or wanted help with things or can we do certain things, these days we're talking about performing rights and all, all that goes with it, health and safety, but in those early days those things weren't thought of, but they are now. And so the Federation can give lots of help in that way, and that's what its members do. It's made up of teams from all over the island. Wherever there's a drama group, they're entitled to become members of the Drama Federation, and that includes drama groups and musical groups. So that's really the background as to how it came about. And we have very regular meetings, uh, and there's representatives that different groups attend to give their ideas, what they're looking for, and how we can help them. And you've recently been away at one of the events which are organised, which the Federation is affiliated to. Very much so. That's the National Drama Festival Association. That's been going for 46 years, and the Isle of Man has been represented in that organisation from the beginning. Um, I have been chairman of it on a couple of occasions, uh, I think for six years on the last occasion, and um, that usually involves that they will invite one of the people, one of the representatives at the uh, National Drama Festival Association to actually host the organisation. Every year they organise an event called the British All Winners and that's made up of teams from all over the British Isles including ERA but they have to be winners. So all the winners come together at a, a meeting that we have in June and we then decide which teams will go forward to the finals, which is in July. And there are 15 teams, and that's consistent of one-act plays, full-length plays, and youth plays. And there's also a section for people with disabilities. And we've been, NIDFA, have been very much, since 2008, uh, very much encouraging people with disabilities so that they might be deaf or that it might 
you know, have some physical disability, it doesn't matter. Uh, they will be involved in, in a play. So that's great. Um, and then that competition goes right around the country. Last year we were in Woking, we've been to different parts of the British Isles, and here we come to the Isle of Man, and this will be the fourth occasion, which is great kudos for the island, considering that they've been going for 46 years, and I don't think anybody else has hosted as often as we have. Um, people like to come here for several reasons. One, it's the beautiful Isle of Man. Two, it has the beautiful Gaiety Theatre. And three, we like to think that we know how to entertain people, how to make them happy, make the event happy for them, lots of things to see and do. And so it's very popular when we put this on. And we've already started, we've been going for about oh, two and a half years, I suppose, planning it, because there is a lot to plan. M mostly, of course, you have to get all your sponsorship in line. And we're very grateful to the Isle of Man Arts Council, because without them and without the sponsorship they give not only to us putting this on uh, but also to the Easter festival without their support I've got a feeling that these festivals just wouldn't happen because it's an expensive business. Sharon Walker as chair of the committee as Michael was saying it's obviously a very busy year for you a busy time for you not only with the international event taking place but also with the usual program of events that uh, you organize absolutely so just next week we have the one at play festival which is traditionally for local teams although we have been fortunate to have the odd team travel from north wales and what have you um, to uh, attend um, and it's a fantastic opportunity for our local teams not only to put on plays that they wouldn't necessarily put on uh, any other time but it gives them an opportunity to direct to write plays to perform for the first time so we really like to think it's a fledging place for people to go on and do bigger and better things now if they are successful in winning the competition then they usually have the opportunity to go across to our next regional finals and what have you as well and again we've had a number of plays do that and a number of groups be very very successful as a result of that once those regional finals happen, as Michael says this year, they'll actually be coming back to the Isle of Man for the British or Winners Festival. So we'd really like to the idea that somebody will win our one-act play festival here and then actually end up coming back and performing it on the Gaiety stage as part of the All Winners Festival. As you mentioned, the one-act play festival is coming up next week, but after that, of course, you have, as Michael mentioned, the 70th anniversary of the, uh, the full-length play festival. Absolutely. So that's uh, the week of Easter. Um, again, a really fantastic celebration of not only our festival, but using the Gaiety Theatre. We have a number of groups that come back year on year. If you look on our list of winners on our website, there are a number of groups that we almost consider to be friends now because they come back year on year and really enjoy that festival experience. Moving back to the one-act plays then, I see uh, you were mentioning about the opportunities for doing different things, directing and so on, and in fact also writing plays for them. Absolutely. So we have a number of people who are very prolific in writing plays. We have a local playwright, Lisa Crichton, who I think has written a play for every festival for the last three or four years, I think. Um, I'm fortunate that I've written a play before now and entered that in the One Act Play Festival, which was successful. So, And, then, and, and there's also an opportunity for a competition that NIDFA run for best original play as well. So uh, again, just 
different ways of encouraging people to be involved in drama but not necessarily in the traditional way of performing. Mm. Yes, I see it's unfortunate that Lisa Crichton has actually lost the plot this year, according to the title <laughs> of her play. But adjudication now, you go through the Guild of Drama Adjudicators for that, and for later in the year for the full-length plays, you have Goda coming to adjudicate. That's right. We're fortunate enough to have Robert Meadows come this year. Uh, Robert's actually been with us a, a, a few times before. He's he's judged our one-act play festival before now, um, and actually he's... Um, he, he does a lot of the regional um, adjudications as well so he also will be adjudicating the young actor of man um, Easter as well so while, when we do our one act play festival our adjudicator Sue Doherty will be judging the preliminary round but then we have a final during the Easter festival and uh, Robert will be adjudicating that for us as well mm. so we keep them busy <laughs> and then for the British All Winners Festival it's Jan Palmasea is yes, coming back and Jan, pa- Jan Palmasea is a real friend of the Isle of Man she's been over and adjudicated a number of times and she also um, helped us with our Island of Culture play uh, the, the Manx Passions where she directed a fantastic piece of theatre all across the island that a lot of us were very fortunate to be involved in. Well perhaps we could have a look at the Festival of One Act Plays which is coming up shortly and there are a number of awards associated with it, perhaps we could have a look at at some of those and particularly uh, Sue Doherty as as the adjudicator gets to award the President's Cup as the adjudicator's award so what's she looking for in that? Well it's very interesting because particularly with that cup it is very much down to the adjudicator themselves and it may well be, be that there's been a standout performance that they've particularly enjoyed enjoyed, but it's perhaps not been significant enough to maybe win best actor or best actress or best supporting actress it might be the overall production that they've really enjoyed but perhaps in the way that the acting hasn't quite lifted the play up to win the overall play Um, so it can be a number of things it might even be the writing so a a previous award winner has won the adjudicators award for writing a fantastic piece of theatre so it really really just depends on what they're looking for and I suspect if you asked her she probably wouldn't be able to tell you until she came to the last night because it can be for a number of different things. Mm. Well perhaps we could look at the first night that'll be next Wednesday the 4th who's going to be taking part in that? We've got three um, three groups there who are synonymous with our festivals. And I think that's the other thing to mention. If you look through our festival this next week, a number of the groups have more than one entry as well, because it, and it just shows the popularity of it. So we start off with The Sandwood Mouse by Russian Players, um, and that's being directed by Susie Bezik, who, again, has been very successful through, through our theatres, and her and her husband Ron are very very great supporters of Madfer and we're very very grateful that they are involved with us and then we have the service players who again are very very great supporters of the One Act Play Festival um, and then finally Hog the Limelight um, who are a Port St Mary group and perhaps the youth of all the groups that we have involved um, in in the festival this year Um, and and as you can see with the three plays that are on the sandalwood mouse the terrace and money for paint they all suggest that they are all very different so um, it'll be a fantastic evening of theatre for sure so where is that going to take place and what time does it start so it's at the erin arts center with seven o'clock it will be at erin arts center every night
My grateful thanks to President of the Manx Amateur Drama Federation, Michael Lees, and the Chairman, Sharon Walker, for talking about the Federation and about the first night of the Festival of One Act Plays. The Manx Amateur Drama Federation's Festival of One Act Plays begins next Wednesday evening, the 4th of March, which will take place over four nights at the Erin Arts Centre. We'll hear about the participants from Thursday the 5th to Saturday the 7th in Shaklay next time. Shachleb will be back next Thursday for the final programme in this series. So, now, from me, Vom Fiona McArdle, Slen you.